Today I have a, uh, it's it's sort of podcast history for me today, because today I get to talk to one of my, um, well, the, the first uh, leading man that I've ever written for in a film. His name's Mike Markoff. You've seen him in such films as uh, 52577, Sim Opening Night, Homestead, Spring Break Nightmare, Operation Black Ox. Hiding from my husband, he's in Richard Letters, Hint Man, and uh, he was in a little film that I had a pen in called The Legend of Hawes. Cinema Yugen is proud to welcome the mighty Mike Markoff. Welcome, Kevin. Mike. Good. So happy to be here. An incredible intro. Thank you very much, Matt. Thank you for being on the show, and it's very nice to talk to you. Like I said, you are the first uh, leading man that I've written for that I've got to speak to. So this is this is history. Yeah, that's awesome. And I, I'll start off by saying. Um, <laughs> you know, I really, um, The Legend of Paws has an extremely special place in my heart. Right. And, uh, and I, I connected with that script and I, had, you know, I had read a few of, uh, Renee's previous scripts and also scripts afterward. And this one, this one hit different. And I believe this one hit different because of you, my friend, uh, is, uh, you know, there's, uh, there was a certain, certain humanity uh in this one right. um that was very much accentuated uh for me more accentuated uh than some of the some of the the gore and splat stick yeah uh, yeah well that's I mean, they're the they're the unavoidable tropes i mean we 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 unfortunately have to trip over but i really from from my part of it, and this this movie, I have to say, was written in like a blur because I had just gotten a job writing for a newspaper again. So I was writing six days a week during the day and coming home and writing The Legend of Whores before I passed out at night. Uh, I even wrote one scene while I was sitting in court because I was a court reporter. The 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 introductory scene, Renee, Renee sent me a note. He said, we need a good introduction for Whores. And I said, okay, look, the hero, the you know, this is our this is our guy. And he says, yeah, we need a good introduction. So, and his his messages used to come at random times, and I just happened to be sitting in court with my laptop, and this message comes on my phone because he was reading the script, and he said, we need a good intro for this guy. So I'm sitting there, and I thought, I've always had this intro in mind where the the guy's already in the bar. And you think he's just one of the bar flies. And the bartender asks him to be turfed and he gets turfed. And the guy's about to get a free whiskey for the turfing. And just as he's about to drink it, boom, the glass is shot out of his hand. Everyone turns and there's the bar fly who turns out to be the gunfighter. So um, it was the best compliment I ever had from Rene. He says, oh, crap, now I'm going to have to go find a saloon because I really like this scene. So... <laughs> That scene was written uh, with me sitting in court waiting for the, the judge to show up and start the day's proceedings. So <laughs> That's <laughs> amazing. Bit of, little bit That's, of, uh, it was such a, it was, it, it was such a, it was so, and it's, and it's, I, I would not use the word tropey because uh, that carries a, a connotation, but it was just such a, 
a fantastic ode uh, to West to the type of westerns that I love so much. Hmm. Um, and westerns were the first genre, I believe, to really always have their their protagonist be a come from behind kind of story from the from the get go. Um, you know, it used to be in those, in those, in those old movies, your, you, you know, your leading man is this kind of very perfect, suave and, and, and confident sort of character that all the other, the men want to be and women want to be with. And what I love about the old, old Westerns is you just sort of, you sort of see them in their, you know, in their lowest, almost from the get go. And, uh, and I, I, Love that moment. I loved. Uh, I loved shooting that scene. We shot that. He did find a bar really far away, uh, at the border of uh, California and Oregon. So we had a long trek to get up there, and there was this incredible place in the middle of the mountains. I guess a sort of one of those kind of you know westerny kind of towns uh, that sort of has a lot of history, but now exists in a kind of museum-like tourist attraction kind of way. Right. And uh, of course, Renee had to shoot it in a certain way to try to avoid the uh, technological process we've made since the 1800s. <laughs> right, yeah. And I'll tell you what, it's so funny you mentioned that uh, scene as well, is that's the one scene my father, that really stuck with my dad. My dad doesn't actually watch most of my movies because he's an ultra-Orthodox Jew. He can't really... You can't really watch Luke. I'm sorry, my cat's yelling. Take yeah. it easy, buddy. <laughs> Hope you don't hear that. He's a, he's a talker. And my dad actually, and I talked to him last week because he was getting a revamp on what's going on. I was talking to him about the Linklater movie because it's kind of exciting. And he's like, oh, yeah, what? Can you send me a clip? You sent me a clip a long time ago where, you know, you were a, you were a drunk in a bar and you get tossed out. And you come back in and. You shoot him and you hand the little kid milk and all that hero kind of stuff. That was the one scene that he kind of, uh, that he really kind of remembers because um, he really doesn't, uh, he does watch some of my stuff and he's not exactly supposed to. So I always appreciate it when he kind of does. But uh, no, my, my inspiration for Hawes, once I, once I got the, uh, the brief from, uh, from Rene was, uh, was very interesting. So I just decided to write him as, um, as Dean Martin from Rio Bravo, but like a darker version. So, because uh, Rio Bravo is like hands down one of my, not just one of my favorite westerns, one of my favorite films. And and incidentally, anyone who wants a masterclass in filmmaking, screenwriting, anything, watch Rio Bravo. You'll you'll find it all there. Um. So yeah, yeah. So he was definitely um he was definitely my 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 mold for that that character especially in the scenes where where harriet emily is 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 trying to convince you to you know come out and he's got lines like you know you stick around i'll drink some more of this whiskey you might see some more of that fancy shooting and all that sort of stuff <laughs> right it's that that's again this is also very coincidental uh when i had taken the role on uh a buddy of mine uh Eric Red, he's the fellow that wrote The Hitcher uh, way back in the day um, and some other cool movies because I wasn't very accustomed to Westerns uh, at that time. And now I've actually I've gone on to do quite a few. But uh, he had me watch uh, uh, Rio and he had me watch The Outlaw Josie Wales. 
after when I told him about the, the script and everything. So it's so funny. Those that was one of the two westerns that I watched in uh, in preparation right. uh, for Prince photography. Mm. So interesting coincidence there. Yeah. And uh, yeah, I loved it. I loved. Uh, uh, I mean, there's. Uh, I, I guess I hadn't known at that time that they were making westerns so emotionally complex, and right. that was very. Um, it was very enlightening to me. So yeah. But I, yeah, again, I just, I had such a, I had such a, a good time on that shoot, Kent. And it was one of those, it was one of those projects where, um, you know, we were, it was a really, really tight team that worked really, really well together. And it was my, my first time working with, uh, with Renee and, uh, and, and to this day, and I, and I think I tell him it was it was actually one one of the best uh, best shooting experiences uh, I've ever had. Where I have, I, I felt I felt really connected to Hawes the whole time. In fact, like we really, there's a lot of roles I've taken on where it's taken like I've done a lot of different work and I kind of find the character and maybe the scenes don't come out the way I want them to. But Hawes, especially um, especially in some of these emotional scenes. It was quite surprising to me um, how easily, I shouldn't say easily, but how seamlessly I was able to shake hands uh, with the situation that he was in. And of course, like one of my favorite scenes, which is still on my reel to this day, is the scene on uh, the mountainside after the big uh, after the big battle. And he's he's talking about finding his wife and everything. And look, you know, anything that's sad and emotional actors, you know, of course, we can always kind of get there. But something something about shooting that is I I felt I felt his circumstances the whole time, uh, I truly did, and it was such a it, it was so so wonderful to shoot and, and and Renee you know and I had heard some things about him moving you know when I was getting into it where I, I know that he's he's a little different he's you know he's bold he's a he's a personality and he has and he has very high convictions in his beliefs and everything but shooting this shooting this movie me and him worked our shorthand was tight everything the way the way we moved uh working with emily everything and the coolest thing about this shoot too is i got to stay on the hawes ranch okay uh literally in this like trailer in the middle of in the middle of the farm so i feel come back home from 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 work and i'd I'd be out here on this farm so it's like this i never really had to get in or out of this character it was just sort of living in it for two or three weeks which was great it's really incredible, yeah. but it's um, what what I found was interesting was um, how well you sort of nailed the. Uh, I mean, when you're sitting typing, you when the magic's really happening, the characters are really talking, but you really nailed the. It, it's going to sound weird, but the, the the inflections that you use were kind of very close to the the delivery that I. You know, it's 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 impossible when you're writing a script sometimes knowing who's going to play who, and and very difficult to try and put inflections in the dialogue that hopefully someone will just get and take to the next level, and and I'm happy to say that you uh, you did that in 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 all those uh, all the scenes that you mentioned. You know, taking it to that. Go, oh yeah, that sounds so much better coming from him, <laughs> you know. Because good, yeah. yeah you, I think you write you write in very good beats. 
the beats are clear um to me at least and you know and in the journey of you know in the journey of the character and there's a lot of things that can kind of get in the way between you and your initial interpretation of the material on the day whether that's the you know the director wanting it a different way or things you try something and it doesn't play but um that, that that shoot i think everything was working off of the instincts of how we interpreted the script and i think you made it i, I, th- I think you made it pretty t- to me the emotional beats were, were were pretty clear which also lends itself to intonation and 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 how you know how things land and everything and i guess you know my one thing my one thing about Hawes, you know like silly me you know i'm i i'm viewing this story as a tragic western and I'm actually really not involved in any of the gore or any of the the horror elements really until the end when I'm just kind of like, you know, shooting the uh, shooting those mutant dudes and, you know, showdown with Big Boss at the end there. Mm. I and so in my mind, you know, I'm, I'm picturing this Western feeling like a Western so much of the time. And 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 I do like I like how my scenes wound up. And I guess I was just a little bit shocked when i saw the final movie and and saw so many you know blood spray act you know accentuation points and everything i was like oh i think i I think i forgot somewhere along the way that this is a horror film as i'm focused so much on on i mean the disease of alcoholism on uh everything everything that comes with that and 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 the story and and, and my family and everything. Those are the part, part, you know, that's, that's what mattered to me as, as an actor and as a character. Right. And, yeah. uh, yeah. And so then I guess, I, I guess this is all to say that I was just, <laughs> I was just a little surprised at just how much, you know, how, how much horror there was in it. And, 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 and then sometimes, and then it kind of made me think, well, then was I, was I going a little bit too emotional in, in some of these scenes and everything? Does this all kind of match up? I don't know. All I know is, is that the, the, that, that footage of me going to those emotional places um, has worked, has worked very well for my career so far. So I'm, I'm so thankful for it. Well, I'm, I'm, I'm very thankful for you delivering them with, uh, with such gravitas, my friend. Gravitas is the good word for that. It's a great word. But um, definitely, uh, for like I said, for a film that was really written in a blur, I wrote the first draft of The Legend of Whores, the fastest I've ever written anything, and that was like 24 hours. Wow. Yeah. I mean, there's, there's a lot in that first draft. You'd probably, if I showed it to you today, you'd get, wow. But Rene, uh, the Rene Perez school of, um, of filmmaking, what I got out of it, uh, my experience anyway was certainly how to uh, whittle a screenplay down to the bare essentials because there is uh, there like we were talking about before we were recording when people come out to Hollywood they have illusions of the business and one of the illusions and and you can talk a little bit about the, about this as far as actors are concerned but with screenwriting is that you can't film everything that you write and you really have to be conscious of what you put in because there are restrictions. I can't, for instance, you're talking about those horror scenes. Now it's very difficult for me to know what Rene is going to have on the day, how many people, the locations, all that sort of stuff. So the screenplay had to be vague, but specific 
because he's going to have something like that, okay, based on whoever he gets, wherever he gets it from, how long he gets it for, so on and so forth. So it was good in that sense because now writing screenplays, I can think, well, okay, I can't be too outlandish in my description and my desires to have this, you know, Cecil B. DeMille picture when it's probably only going to be more like, you know, something a lot more lower budget. If you know what I mean, sure. So sure. yeah, yeah, and that's and and that's you know, you, I and, and I encountered this a lot, you know, because obviously, you know, on, on the you know on a certain level, when you're writing, you know, from the very little that I know about it, you know, the the creative flow has to happen the way it's going to happen. There's this this image that you're that you're fulfilling and, and telling the story and, and writing the story that you don't want to castrate yourself just from the beginning with, you know, with budget, yes. um, so to kind of let the, let the, let the imagination run its course for what's the best story that I can tell that's going to be the most compelling that it can be. Hmm. And then, yeah. And then eventually, you know, you be cognizant of, uh, of what the, of what the budget limitations are. And then that often, I found on set actually breeds a lot of creativity. It's, uh, you know, in, instead of having this gigantic helicopter explosion and Arnold hanging from the thing, well, it's like, one, we couldn't get Arnold, we couldn't get a helicopter, we couldn't do this. So we're just going to have to create really interesting characters in a high stakes situation that doesn't involve a helicopter exploding. And maybe that tends to be more emotional high stakes or something like that. Or some, maybe we'll have to develop our characters a little bit further to put them in more of a subtle situation, but that subtle situation has such such cost and high stakes to it that the audience truly cares about it, and it doesn't need to be a gigantic action sequence. So, I've, you know, I've encountered that quite a bit too, uh, and it's always interesting seeing uh, seeing the creative ingenuity that comes out of uh, bunch, budget restraints. You know, it'd be nice to have all the money in the world, you know, to make your movies. But even the guys who have all the money in the world aren't necessarily making great movies. You, you know. Yeah, you know, Warner Brothers down the street here. I'm literally like pointing in the direction of it. Uh, yeah. You know, it's like they have a whole marketing team yeah. to understand what people want and mm. a lot of money to do it. And then the movie will still kind of be crap. Yeah, it's interesting. Such a such a living animal making a movie. Yeah. Well, from one low budget filmmaker to uh, sort of a, a, a um, indie, an indie legend, if you will, in, Link, in Richard Linklater, um, how, how does this all happen? This is like a, this is huge. Yeah. Yeah. It's definitely, definitely, uh, uh, probably the, the most prestigious pro project I've, I've been a part of, at least on a, you know, according to the scene, so to speak. Um, I had, I had auditioned for it. Um, and, I had gotten a response from the casting director saying, Hey, these, these guys really like liked what you did. Hmm. And, uh, you know, I was familiar with, with Linklater's work and the script didn't seem anything like any of his movies I'd ever seen. I'm like, what's going on here? This story about a, a, a hitman, but he's not a hitman. And, and did I know that it was going to be this genre bending, crazy neo-noir, meets screwball comedy, but also extraordinary philosoph philosophic insight movie. Hmm. 
no, no idea. I just saw, I, I saw this, I saw this really interesting character that they were having me read for. And I'm just like, I'm going to have to do something super, super interesting in order to book this. So I made a random decision uh, during the audition process, came off hilarious and so weird that they, uh, the cast director said, okay, I want to, you're, you're going to do a callback with me. Uh, just so happened during that time, I was on set for this, uh, this movie I did, which recently came out called uh, When Jack Came Back, where uh, Lindsay Wagner plays my mom. Out, So I'm out in the middle of the cornfields there in Iowa. And I go to get on a Zoom call, just like this one here, um, to do the callback with the cast director. Except it's Richard Linklater and wow. Glenn Powell. <laughs> just the two of them. I was like, oh, hey. Holy shit. Hey, Bagman. Uh, what, what's that? Oh, Hangman. Yeah, hey, yeah. Bagman. Yeah, yeah, and um, and I proceed. Uh, so, in true Linklater fashion, the scene is a straight dialogue scene, like uh, like nine or ten pages. You know, Linklater will have he doesn't really care so much about following act structure, and I mean, just watch like before midnight, that before sunset, before midnight kind of series, just to see that he's going to just sort of follow this characters and dialogues as much as he wants without any worry about it going too long or, or, or anything. And so it was one of those kind of long scenes. And, um, and I do the scene. Um, and I, I don't know what I was kind of thinking, but I started improvising along, along with the scene in these certain kind of moments, like, cause I'm there acting with Glenn. Glenn is this really fantastic, charismatic, kind of person who who really engages with you and gives you a lot so I felt very I felt very motivated just to be I don't know kind of kind of cheeky with how I did this scene and uh all these interesting words started coming out of my mouth that I didn't plan and uh and they really dug it and um I'll tell you what though too that improvisation made it into the final script too when they ended up casting me I don't know how bold it was thinking I could change the words of some guy who's been nominated for an Oscar for best adapted screenplay, but I wasn't, maybe I wasn't cognizant exactly of that at the time. Mm-hmm. And uh, so I, so after the read there were, you know, Glenn was really excited. He's always pepping you up. He's always just an excited, happy guy. Makes you feel like a million bucks. He's like, that was great, man. Where, where are you right now? Oh, I was like, Oh, I'm on set. You know, I'm on the set where uh, Lindsay Wagner, you know, the bionic woman, which, Rick had to tell him who the bionic woman was. I also needed to be told who she was too. Okay. I, I did research it before she played my mom. And then my dad was being played by uh, Lance Henriksen and he was on set that day. And Glenn was like, Oh my God, no way. My first movie I ever did Lance Henriksen played my dad. And so we had this like immediate kind of bonding moment on this like zoom call and everything. And then, so there was just good vibes all around and that uh, ended up getting the part. Um, it just threw you know, just through trying to trying to bring something interesting to the table. And, you know, sometimes with, you know, the auditioning process is grueling because, you know, especially for some of the bigger stuff, you're always kind of like wondering, oh, what should I do? Should I just try to be this character that they're trying to describe and interpret the script, you know, in the way that it looks like it's written? And then some people are like, no, you got to go in, you got to, you got to make a bold choice and guy like Linklater or whatever, you just got to, you know, and so it ended up being, it ended up being one of those things where, uh, and I learned a lot about this from working with him as well, is you, you got to come in with something, something brought to the table. Um, 
because this light touch that Linklater is always quoted as having, I'm only realizing that now reading these reviews uh, right. for the movie. Oh yes, yeah, signature Linklater's light touch to it. It's just cause he's an art. He's an artist. Uh, it, yeah, it's, you got You got to bring something in, and then he can navigate you in this brilliant kind of way. And so when we got to when we got to shooting, we shot it in uh, New Orleans. Um, I, I I very much learned that because when we we're on set, we actually we had some rehearsals first. Uh, me, Brent, Glenn, and uh, Rick. And I actually I was kind of dumbfounded at first because Rick is so nonchalant that it's it's like disarming. You know, I'm, I'm used to different types of directors who are you know you know some people are very brash and, and opinionated and, and everything. And the first thought that I had when I was doing a read was, was that Rick was either uninterested in what I was doing or, or anything, but he would come, come to me uh, between takes and just like, and he would just like have a chat, like chat with you, like, like you're his equal mm-hmm. and start ping ponging ideas with you. And he's kind of like giggling just, lightly delighted with the whole process of making a movie hmm. and almost like there's nothing at stake whatsoever about getting the shot or whatever. He's just kind of interesting about the, everything that's kind of happening in between with these characters and kind of, and, uh, and we would do that after every single take. It was a long shooting day because it was a very, very long scene. Hmm. And I think it was like nine or 10 pages of straight dialogue. Very important scene too. Um, and then I realized, like, this is sort of like his perfect art. He is absolutely directing me in this way in which I am so creatively comfortable. And we did this incredible thing uh, where he gives you control of the set after he's gotten a fair amount of coverage. He puts the coverage on you. And I think they call it like a series. That's what they had pegged the name of this little thing. All right, Mike, we're going to do your series now. So you start and stop the camera, go back and forth however much as you want. And something really magical happened there, Kent. Um, all of a sudden, all the pressure was lifted. We had gotten like the coverage that was that was good and, and what they needed, I, I suppose. And now we were going to do this long scene again. Um, except I could start and stop and go back and do and say whatever it is that I wanted. And the creative animal inside of me had been throughout the day by Rick, by the whole situation, by the, by the, the set that he keeps Hmm. this creative animal had been nurtured. The fire had been stoked and it was my real coverage now in what could be, you know, one of the bigger moments for my career for sure. Um, now definitely for sure seeing, seeing what's happening with the movie hmm. and hence something came alive in me and it's everything that you hope for that happens on set or in a, in an audition or um, the crazy thing is, again, is that this is a highly intangible art. Something that works today may absolutely fail tomorrow. It's kind of what's exciting about this whole thing, this whole acting, all these all these variables, these human emotions and the mind is so fickle. How are we ever supposed to have control over it for a character or for a situation, for a back and forth with another character or chemistry? 
And it was just like, all of that was just like, he created this stage for me where all of that was thrown away. Any kind of hint of insecurity or, or whatever was gone. And my complete creative animal was there. And, um, and we did this take and it was the most artistically satisfying take of my life. And things were coming out of my mouth that once again, that I did not, I didn't plan and I didn't second guess myself. There is, this happens sometimes when I'm working and I actually, I steal it from Dexter, but I call it like when my dark passenger comes out <laughs> because Mike, Mike's conscious, conscious mind, Mike, you know, 36 year old actor, you know, living, you know, living in LA, you know, moderately, you know, doing okay in his career, most career, most of the time feeling insecure, or weird or everything. That's all, that's all gone. And this whole thing, the whole other thing takes over me in character, thinking the thoughts, my character, making decisions in the moment. And we finish the take and, and Rick starts dancing and Glenn leans into me and he's like, you made Rick dance. That's a really good thing. And, you know, Rick comes up to me and gives me this big hug. And it was just, I don't know, you know, I, I've been working in the indie scene for so long and a lot of people not having the resources that they have or not working with the budget that they're supposed to have or maybe um, w whatever it is. It's always people. I, I, But this was the first time I had really worked with somebody um you obviously had the pedigree that he had and the confidence and the nonchalance that he had going in. He believed so much in himself and the people surrounding him and their abilities to tell a story and to be included in that um, was just remarkable. And so now we're in the strike and, you know, we go to Venice. I can't go. We go to TIFF. I can't go. And that's all, that's all good and fine or whatever. But just to kind of read the, uh, the aftermath and the standing ovations that he's getting and the hundred percent on Rotten Tomatoes, pretty cool too. And people whispering about, you know, all kinds of, all kinds of cool things. So I'm just, uh, yeah, this was a, this was a big loaded answer to your question. And that's like, yeah, it's kind of like the thing that's going on right now. So I'm, I'm sitting back during the strike, you know, in my, in my place in LA, not really going to any cool, fancy uh, premieres or festivals or red carpets or anything, but I'm just kind of watching this. I'm watching this whole thing kind of unfold and be like, man, what's going to happen with this movie? It sounds like people like it. So that's good. Mate, sounds like the mountains come to you. It's been fantastic to talk with Mike Markoff here this morning. It's this afternoon where he is in LA. Mike, uh, we've made podcasting history. Thank you for being my leading man in the legend of whores. And, uh, on Cinema Yug and here today. And I'm such a pleasure to be here, my man. Thank you for having me. Thank you very much, mate. And more power to you. It looks like the sky is the limit for Mike Markoff. Keep your eyes locked. He's coming. <laughs> <laughs>